0: Hello there, I'm Justin and welcome to today's episode of The Pickup Line. Uh, On today's episode, I'm going to be reading an article uh, from a website and discussing a lot of stuff about my favorite band of all time, The Midnight. Uh, We are at the peak of sort of the midnight madness right now. We've got a new Midnight record coming out on July 10th called Monsters. A new single from that record dropped last week called Deep Blue. Um, And there's so much to talk about as we get excited for the new Midnight record coming out in July Uh, I'm excited. All the fans are excited. Uh, I cannot wait. It's gonna be amazing. So um, Without further ado, uh, this is the new single Deep Blue and we're gonna be talking about this and other things on today's episode So thank you so much for hanging out today. Let's get into it I wasn't looking for
1: action, just some distraction Just a little weeknight, both in the back I wasn't She said I've never felt my body I always thought the point of love was just
0: So that was deep blue, at least part of it um wow, what an amazing uh sort of initial introduction to this new album um it's it's a it's an amazing song it It has so many interesting elements in it of classic midnight stuff and new midnight stuff um It's got that amazing soaring saxophone that that is so signature of the midnights sound. Um, amazing lyrical work by Tyler Lyle in this piece. Um, I love the sort of sort of the quick staccato ness of the of the lyrics and how they come at you quickly. And um, I think that that speed uh, is so accurately reflective of kind of the experience of what this song is about. Um, this song is very much about sort of getting love struck, uh, getting sort of blindsided by something that you weren't expecting. Um, not really an experience that I've had personally, just sort of this idea of, like, being out on the town and, like, all of a sudden something happens. Um, It's got a similar sort of uh, thematic element to uh, Crystalline from Nocturnal, Um, but it's the same sort of sense of, like, um, excitement, but also mixed in with loneliness. Um, And there's this cinematic quality to this song that just makes it really, really amazing. Um, I, I love... I love sort of this this the lyrical power of of the 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 way that that we you know this idea of a, a weeknight booth in the back uh, an off chance a side glance um, leading into the wrong hands like almost like this is not a good thing that's necessarily happening this is this thing that's going to happen and and it's not necessarily a good thing and then I love later in the in the tune when we hear this line about um, um it's an explosion it's it's uh, weeks lost it's so so it's like this this it's like this story of these two people kind of getting caught up in one another and, and entering into this love affair that is so explosive and so overpowering that they just get lost in it and they just lose themselves in it. And um, it honestly kind of, it, it it also kind of, you know, The Midnight has, has a very cinematic quality to most of their tunes. And um, this one in particular, I think it really ev- evokes images for me of like, Uh, The film La La Land or other sort of movies about this sort of like uh, love at first sight or lust at first sight kind of experience. And I think um, I I just love I love the way that Tyler's lyrics create um, these sort of visual stories, um, these little moments, these little worlds, these little uh, narratives, uh, very concise, condensed, um, but very vivid uh, you know you can you can see this this story playing out um, so I love that um, Tim's work on this song is absolutely amazing too the 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 the, the beat the the lyrics or excuse me the uh, the sort of the musical quality of this the the layering um, the way that it sounds um, the pacing of the song it, it's all just it's a great it's a great combo between these two guys. And it was funny. It was funny hearing them talk about their process of creating this, um, on their live stream last week, uh, the echo chamber. Um, when Tim was talking about their process, he was sort of saying how like Tim will come up with kind of like a rhythm or a beat or a melody. And then Tyler will kind of work through that and kind of write over top of it and come up with the song and the lyrics kind of on top of what, uh, what notes and chords and beats and stuff that Tim has created. And, and hearing them talk about how this came together, you know, Tim went to the grocery store and Tyler was at home just like stewing over what lyrics. And then he had some sort of revelation. And when Tim returned, Tyler was very like excited and like, um, uh, you know, like very like dude, 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 guess what? I got this. And he was like going going crazy, like thinking about, like, all ex- really excited about this new this new idea, these new words, this new lyrics that he developed for this song, Deep Blue. And um, so it was really cool to hear that. It was really cool to, to watch them both talk about their process together on that live stream. I hope they do more stuff like that because that was really amazing. Um, but this song is incredible. Um, go check it out. Bandcamp, um, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you want. It's available everywhere. You can pre-order the album. Um, I'm hoping to do more episodes like this as they drop new singles and as we get closer to July 10th. Uh, as we sort of ramp up the excitement and the hype around uh, Monsters. Uh, I'm really pumped for this record. I think it's going to be their best work yet. Um, And I think it's just going to be something really, really special. So go check out Deep Blue. And the next part of the podcast, I just want to go through um, a little article about The Midnight that, that I enjoy reading and that I wanted to share with you. So this article is from a website called velingo.com. Um, and it's written by Aaron Velling. And this is kind of Aaron. Uh, I don't know too much about Aaron, but he has this web presence, this, this entity called Velingo. And um, he was part of a, a uh, sort of a live stream, uh, pandemic live stream that he helped put together with The Midnight a few weeks back. Um, and he's just, he's always kind of, he, he's done a lot of work with The Midnight promoting them and kind of talking about them and reviewing them. And so uh, this article was from about two years ago. Um, and it was updated on November, in, in November 2019. But uh, it's called Reliving the Past with the Midnight, an In-Depth Interview. Um, and so I'll just start reading this. Uh, mono no aware is a Japanese term relating to the wistful recognition of impermanence, a melancholic awareness that things are ephemeral and we can never relive the past. Are the midnight an embodiment of this or are they the cure? Uh, so I love this phrase, The Midnight has this on their Bandcamp page, um, it's called this Mono no Wari, it's a Japanese phrase, and it kind of, it has a lot to do with this idea that, that there is beauty in impermanence, that, that the idea that things change, that nothing stays the same, that time marches on, um, that can be a sad thing, it can be a nostalgic thing, um, but it can also be a beautiful thing, and it's a permanent thing, and it's a, it's a, it's a unifying thing, because everyone experiences that equally. Um, so I think that's a really, I love that, I love that whole idea. Um, and so uh, Aaron, Aaron Vailing here writes, It was a beautiful summer night in San Francisco, a town that gets surprisingly cold when most of America is sweating their souls out. This mid-July night was certainly crisp, but 850 people would soon be basking in the heat of some extraordinary energy generated by the performances of two popular musical groups. Their vitality would rise to spiritual levels, infusing concert goers with a deep sense of interconnectedness and warmth but not yet. The Midnight's Tim McEwen and Tyler Lyle needed to grab a bite to eat after a strenuous afternoon. It was July 14th and they had just finished sound check at the DNA Lounge, deep in San Francisco's Soma neighborhood, preparing for their first ever show, a double bill with FM84 and his collaborator Ollie Ride. Together, the two acts have redefined the lighter, more pop side of Synthwave as a professional, unassailably written, and transcendently performed medium. They've earned thousands of fans all over the world. Not that McEwan really realized that. It wasn't until they were all grabbing a slice at the DNA Lounge's adjacent pizza place and getting some air before the show that something clicked. Quote, we were outside on the street. I looked to my left and saw a massively long line stretching around the corner, McEwen told the lingo during a recent phone interview. I wondered what was going on. They were probably here for some show. I didn't put it together that the line was leading up to the door of the venue that was for our show. Then I saw some midnight t-shirts, he continued. I thought, what the fuck? That's, what it, that's when it really hit me. I guess if people were buying your music and buying a ticket to your show, they have to drag their body there and show up. That was a real wake up call. When I caught up with Lyle and McEwen, the former at a fun Divey bar in Brooklyn, and the latter over a couple phone calls, both men were preparing for their first ever show in Los Angeles as the Midnight on November 18th at the Globe. McEwen lives in LA, making it a sort of hometown show. Lyle used to be an, a- Ange- an- Angelino? Never heard that before. Cool. Angelino? So there's a bit of a homecoming air to it. In many ways, L.A. is at its core the heart and soul of the band. As they did in San Francisco, The Midnight will be heading, headlining the show with FM84, aka Carl Bennett, and Ride. The venue is bigger, holding at least a thousand people, underscoring the state of affairs for the acts. They're big and getting bigger without relying on most of the typical record industry infrastructure. The Midnight's latest release, an EP entitled Nocturnal, came out in October, has been very well received. It hit the top 20 on Billboard's dance electronic charts and rested at number one on Bandcamp for a few weeks. After playing a successful show at the DNA Lounge, this all points to great things for the Midnight as they head into their next live show and beyond. It's almost like we skipped the middle part of having to tour the country and play shitty venues, McEwen said. We went straight to playing decent sized venues and everyone knowing our songs. Don't be fooled though. that It wasn't that easy. The Midnight, an unlikely pairing. Lyle co-writes and sings on some of the most memorable songs in the synth business, but his background is resolutely in the realm of the singer-songwriter and the country artist. This contributes to the rich and compelling lyrics he writes. One of his higher-profile gigs was co-writing songs for the Courtyard Hounds, a side project of Dixie Chicks members Marty McGuire and Emily Robinson. Robeson. He contributed his considerable talent to a few songs on their 2013 album, Amalita. As a solo artist, he's toured all over the country playing gigs big and small with audiences of a few people to more than a thousand and sold 20,000 copies of a solo album at a time when selling records isn't easy. Lyle hails from Carleton, Georgia, which is about 10 miles from the Alabama border, more than 4,500 miles from McEwen's native Denmark, and about a million miles from the neon noir nostalgia of the midnight. Carrollton is also a town with 100 places of worship for 25,000 people and a place in which a mayor in recent years banned a performance of the Rocky Horror Picture Show at a city arts venue on the grounds that it was offensive. McEwen, born in Denmark to a Danish mother and Scottish father, has spent his music career as a producer and songwriter crafting work for the likes of Sean Diddy Combs and New Kids on the Block. He had a hand in the Diddy Cut strobe lights featuring Lil Wayne and the New Kids 2013 cut Wasted on You. He also worked with British boy band The Wanted among others during a stint in the uk quote that we come from different worlds makes for a richer experience end quote part of what makes the midnight great is the merging of these two forces there's a friendly tension between the european-bred neo-noir and the southern-bred poetry quote i came up in the nashville school of songwriting where writing lyrics and a melody meant you wrote a song Lyle told Valingo at the High Dive Bar in Brooklyn. In L.A., producers have a track and then have a top-tier sing over it, a top-liner sing over it. I'm getting used to that a bit more. Lyle admits that McEwen knows a lot more about the synth realm than he does, which is a reality he welcomes. Quote, Tim adds an element I can't do myself, Lyle says. I can listen to The Midnight and enjoy it in a different way than when I listen to my own stuff. The ego of the thing is outside of me. The spirit of the thing comes from the outside. End quote. As McEwen tells it, Lyle is the kind of songwriter he can rely on to come up with something that just works. Quote, I love when I can trust a person in the room creatively, McEwen says. I'll play some chords and let him do his thing and not worry about him coming up with something good that we come from different worlds makes for a richer experience. These two disparate souls, music professionals with differing frames of reference, came together in LA in 2012. Lyle's A&R representative, Katie Donovan, put him and McEwen in a room for a co-write session. The type of intensive all day and sometimes multiple day experiences arranged with the hope of yielding hits. We didn't know what we were going to make together, Lyle said. Before that session began, McEwen had Googled Lyle and found an EP of his and thoroughly enjoyed it, he said. Once the two were in a room together and writing, it only took a short period of time for magic to happen. Within half an hour, he had written over my chords some of the verses for We Move Forward, McEwen said, attributing some of this quick clicking to the years of experience they both have working in this type of environment. Lyle and McEwen have been, deliv- have been delving in the synthwave scene for a while, checking out the synthwave blogs, and both men had seen Drive, which came out not so long prior tim could put this kind of aesthetic on it lyle said but McEwen says lyle adds something significant to the aesthetic quote the melodies i come up with are very different from what he comes up with he thinks in ways i don't and vice versa as well McEwen says overall it's a very natural way of working going back to move forward McEwen was in London when Drive was in the theaters. He'd been working on some songs with some acts, crafting electro and electro-pop tunes mostly. A lot of the music he'd been listening to centered on progressive fare like Porter Robinson and Deadmau5. It was 2011, and Drive had opened that September. Between that and his exposure to some other nostalgia-minded synth music, it made for what would be a fruitful trip for all of us. I was there for a week, and I remember I saw Drive alone in a movie theater, McEwen says. Literally that same week on that trip, someone showed me Future Cop. He went down a YouTube rabbit hole and would discover influential early acts like Tesla Boy and MPM soundtracks. Seeing Drive, when I heard College and Kavinsky and the aesthetics of that movie, and later discovering Future Cop, I thought, what is this magical place, he said. It spoke to me on a deep level. I was hungry to feed my inner artist at the time. As his listening pattern went from nostalgia-minded aesthetics of the Drive soundtrack to the straight-up 80s retro machinations of Synthwave, McEwen got more and more hooked. The melodic side of the music struck him, but so did the spirit. What I like about his genre is it's a bunch of bedroom producers coming up with this underground thing. Not every track has the best mix or perfect production, but I'd much rather listen to something some scrappy kid put together in a bedroom that feels fresh and speaks to me than something with a correct mix that has no vibe," McEwen says. Overall, he says, the musicality and the melodic elements of the whole synthwave genre spoke to me. But it wasn't until McEwan and Lyle met that fateful day in 2012 that McEwen was able to fully indulge in this nostalgia for the Toto, Phil Collins, the police, and others he'd faithfully listened to as a kid growing up in his Scottish-Danish home in the 80s. It took a year to figure out what the fuck this was, McEwen says. Even then, though, the midnight might not have happened as we know it. McEwen says that originally their first song, We Move Forward, would probably have ended up as a solo track of his featuring Lyle and housed on SoundCloud. And even once The Midnight was truly born as a project of the two musicians, it took a while to get the debut release, Days of Thunder, which featured Forward and Gloria, another cut they wrote together in those early sessions. I got to a point where I felt completely at home with the sound and loved how far I could take it, McEwen says, adding the caveat that it took me a while to figure out the tone of the first EP because I wanted to get it right. Quote, if you don't like the 80s, I want you to hate the mid... If you don't like the 80s, I want you to hate the midnight. If you're even somewhat into the 80s, you're going to fucking love this shit. (laughs) McEwen's mantra for Days of Thunder was along the lines of, if it feels like like it's a little too much, add more. I wanted to be clear and confident about what it was, he said. I thought to myself, if you don't like the 80s, I want you to hate the midnight. In other words, scare the right people away in a no-holds-barred onslaught of 80s pistache. Although just doing 40 minutes to an hour of trope gesticulations wouldn't cut it. McEwen and Tyler are, after all, professional songwriters who've been known to craft a well-written and catchy cut from time to time. These are pop songs, McEwen says. They're just dressed up in an 80s jacket and slick-backed hair. It's no different than Coldplay or the 1975. I've always thought there's room for melodic synthwave to become big. I don't know if it would go as mainstream as House did, but it appeals on many levels based on the songs and melodies. With McEwen developing a framework on which he and Lyle built the Midnight Songs, Lyle is poised to bring something distinct to the table. It's not just, as mentioned earlier, his different personal and professional background, although his experience as a worship leader in a charismatic Southern Baptist Church certainly gave the ready performer an early template for being in front of people. There's also the very earnest and very human contemplations behind the melodies he writes. Those lyrics aren't secondary thoughts, and they're not left to fester in second-hand exercises of 80s movie tropes. The midnight is my permission to explore God and sex through a lens of nostalgia, Lyle says. What I'm digging at, usually, is trying to answer questions for myself about sex, spirit. Teenage pastoral 80s images provide a really easy way to do that. He pointed to Los Angeles from Days of Thunder as an exempl- exemplification of that. Lyle also indicated that as our post-ideological society renders the sacred no longer sacred, nostalgic veins of energy pop up. The human need for big explanations and interconnectedness with something is a powerful emotion. Nostalgia is a way for us to sort of filter ideas about transcendence, he says. The Story of the Midnight's Nocturnal in the summer of 2016, The Midnight released Endless Summer, which was one of those titles that could be taken to evoke those veins of nostalgia mentioned above, or considering it was 2016, I wouldn't judge you for reading it as something more of a lamentation. The 12-cut album showed that this project was no one-off nostalgia trip. It was, rather, a potent force of increasingly sunsetting areas of synthwave, the original, lighter, and more pop-oriented variety, along with shiny Outrun. Featuring sax-heavy vocal cuts like Vampires and Nicky Flores' collaboration, Jason, and instrumentals like Daytona. Endless summer comprehensively established The Midnight as an utterly serious and entirely fun project for both the musicians and the audience. But it is this Autumn's EP, Nocturnal, which hit number 17 on Billboard and which arrives in between two crucial live shows that indicates something even more profound. It represents the duo at their creative peak, I'm not sure about that one. Blending their pop sensibilities with Tangerine Dream influences, bathed in a neo-noir moodiness. It shows that you can be dark without being dark synth. It's a glorious achievement of a release. The EP kicks off with the exquisite Shadows, which bears all the classic makers of a Midnight Song, an unabashed sax solo, a wash of synths, Lyle's impeccable songwriting, and McEwen's retro-modern production. It's so quintessentially the Midnight that you might be surprised by the underlying influence. If you want the secret code to Shadows... It's The Thunder Rolls by Garth Brooks, Lyle says, referring to one of Brooks' darker hits from the early 90s. Pop singer Nicky Flores returns to sing on the engaging light years, and retro-infused dream waver Time Cop 1983 lends his touch to River of Darkness. Nocturnal also features Tokyo Night Train, an instrumental number that is well-executed homage to Tangerine Dream's Love on a Real Train, from the soundtrack to the 1984 Tom Cruise and Rebecca De Mornay film Risky Business. It's also Lyle's favorite cut on the EP. For his part, McEwen loved the film. Risky Business is a kind of ethereal and dreamy and not just a fun coming of age romp, he says, adding that the film touches on a big existential question that people of all ages face, such as who we really are and what we're really doing. I love the Tangerine Dream soundtrack, McEwen said. I wanted to do an homage with a progressive feel. Although Nocturnal is only a seven track EP, it was originally supposed to be a full album. However, the rest of the tracks didn't fit the theme. Lyle wanted to do a full Halloween-slash-October release that was a bit darker than the usual midnight Fair, taking inspiration from the tone of Stranger Things and John Carpenter films and the like. Interestingly, McEwen would get inspiration from them, but it wasn't always from the score. Sometimes it was just from the story or overall imagery of the film. McEwen likes to jog around the Griffith Observatory grounds, which offers some beautiful and expansive views of Los Angeles. That alone inspired him. He's a bit of a crepuscular runner taking to the streets during sunrise and sunset but add to that this fact quote it's where the terminator first arrives in the beginning of the first terminator McEwen says running up there and seeing the whole city and the sun setting it's so vibey and such an la thing i was very inspired by that the title cut to nocturnal has a not so subtle homage to brad fidel's score McEwen wanted something darker, albeit not necessarily in the vein of metal-inspired synth artist's perturbator or carpenter brute. I wasn't trying to be hard, but I think I wanted it to feel slightly moodier and darker while still maintaining chords I like to go for," McEwen says. Another aspect of the Terminator that influenced him was the relationship between Kyle Reese and Sarah Sarah Connor. Originally Connor thinks Reese is out to kill her before realizing he's in the 80s to save her from Arnold Schwarzenegger's killing machine. She's looking at Kyle Reese thinking he's after her, but kind of intrigued by him, McEwen says. There's this romantic element which I think is beautiful. Live shows and future plans, and yes, a new EP. The show at the Globe in Los Angeles is coming fast and will probably sell out, filling the downtown venue with about 1,200 or more fans, admirers, and those intrigued by these powerhouse acts. They're bringing Flores along to expand the experience, and no doubt it'll be the experience of the year. That said, both Lyle and McEwen have said they don't foresee upending their lives to embark on a massive tour, but they have been looking into hitting up a few additional key cities and perhaps even festivals. We're trying to be more strategic and smart about it, McEwen says. They'll want to play centrally located venues that serve the most fans possible. They're also working on a new, more summer-feeling EP to be released in spring or summer of 2018. Enter kids. I like to think about it as what the kids from Stranger Things are listening to when they're not chasing monsters, McEwen says. The midnight is growing bigger and bigger, with McEwen finding it hard to respond to every tweet, Facebook comment, or message, and email like he was used to be able to. He spent a week catching up on three months' worth of unanswered messages left when he was deep into EP making mode. It's safe to say McEwen is some variation on an inbox zero guy. He doesn't like unanswered messages. I'm a weird completionist and perfectionist, McEwan says. I like to reply to every tweet, etc., but that's not possible, so help could be on the way in the form of an assistant or something of that nature. For his part, Lyle is fully prepared to take in the interconnectedness of the live experience again. Something I do love about this community is that music means something to people, at least these shows, in a different way than I kind of really understand or what I go to records for, Lyle said. I don't know if I'm supposed to make pretty wallpaper for people's time in their house or car, or if I'm supposed to be injecting positive psychology for holding on. I feel very conflicted about what our objective is, but I'm glad people are engaging with the music. When he's on the stage with McEwen performing his heart and soul out, Lyle feels a vibe that harkens back to his early days in Carlton. The San Francisco show felt like a spirit to spirit experience, like I was back in Carlton, Georgia at a megachurch leading worship, Lyle says. It's something I'm excited to lean into. It goes back. To my roots. There's a few updates to this piece where uh, Aaron reviews Kids and America Online. So that was that's a great piece, and it was cool to kind of take a trip down memory lane with that and 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 hear a little bit about the early days of the midnight and how they started and what their 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 non plans for a major tour which of course that didn't happen they did do a huge major world tour and they sold out pretty much every show and they went all over the entire globe and it was incredible and i got to see them a couple of times on that tour near where i live Um, suffice it to say there will be more midnight discussion to come Um, this band is is amazing tyler and tim are uniquely talented, and I would encourage everyone out there to go check out The Midnight, check out their new single, Deep Blue, and get excited for Monsters coming out on July 10th. I think it's going to be amazing. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Pickup Line today. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I will see you on the next episode. 3.30
1: 3.30 in the morning, not a soul in sight City's looking like a ghost town on the moon, a summer night Raindrops on the windshield, there's a storm moving in He's heading back from somewhere that he never should have been And the thunder rolls. And the thunder roll Every light is burning In a house across town She's pacing by the telephone In her faded flannel gown Asking for a miracle Hoping she's not right Praying it's the weather That has kept him out all night